hello um so today i wanted to i guess i don't actually know who this is relevant for but maybe there's somebody whether this is helpful for or maybe i can just send this to people who keep asking me why i'm taking a break between <laughs> studies um but what i wanted to do i guess is to share a little bit about um the pathway to becoming a psychologist uh and you know what what that entails um what i found from my research before embarking on this and what i found you know as i kind of um continue on this journey so i'm in the i'm in the second year of a four year qualification pathway um which actually is the shortest pathway i could find uh that is legit um you know maybe this will help other people out there because it is it is quite a process you know if you are seeing a therapist who is a psychologist as opposed to a psychotherapist which doesn't really mean anything depending on where you're from um or doesn't necessarily mean anything i should say then maybe this will help you understand um <clears throat> the training or the background that they had to go through um yeah so okay where do we start let's start with um let's start with the difference between a psychiatrist a psychologist and a counselor right uh i think for people in this field it's pretty clear but i feel like it was definitely very muddled for me um and it's made it's further complicated by the fact that this differs for each region or each country that you're in so um a psychiatrist the most straightforward one i think is what's the difference between a psychiatrist and um a psychologist or a counselor or therapist right uh now a psychiatrist basically is a medical doctor so somebody who has gone through medical school done you know your um like uh like anatomy uh hematology <laughs> whatever whatever doctors do like cutting up cutting up cadavers um but with the added specialization of uh psychiatry which um means that you know they have spent extra time studying specifically psychological conditions and in particular one key distinction is that because they have that medical uh degree or that medical qualification they are able to prescribe pharmaceuticals they are able to prescribe drugs um and so depending on so that is the qualification pathway that's the kind of training that psychiatrists um as far as i know all over the world let's let's keep it to the major places so us uk um australia singapore are basically the options that i looked at um because i i guess i found the european system a bit too complicated and not in english so i i didn't look at that but um as far as i know i think that holds up across uh all the places that i just mentioned um the implications for i guess the the role that psychiatrists play the way they approach patients um that differs based on the country and it differs based on the individual itself so i know for example um for for instance if they're under high um pressure or maybe if they're in a uh, a public system where you're really dealing with like a high volume of patients then 
a lot of the emphasis probably will be on okay let's let's use the psychiatrist time for um, cases where you have to administer drugs and all of that I okay I should add this disclaimer <laughs> that I'm not a psycho- psychologist this is just based on the research that I've done as I started embarking on this path so um, I may or may not make it the full way and when you hear the whole pathway and the costs involved maybe you'll understand why but um, just take it as you know the, the results of one person's fairly in-depth research I think I, I spoke to multiple psychologists psychiatrists and I did a clinic internship and I also spoke to multiple universities um, in the UK and uh, Singapore and um, Australia. Yep. So, um, yeah, so that's the main difference when you're talking about psychiatrists versus psychologists and counselors. Now, when you're talking about psychologists versus counselors, and let's throw the term therapist into the mix, whether you're talking about psychotherapist or like whatever kind of therapist, um, that's where I think it gets a bit fuzzy. So a lot of that probably comes down to the kind of training that uh, that people, that the profession, uh, the professional undergoes. Um, when, you, when you use the th- term therapist, I believe it's a much broader term because there are all kinds of therapists that you can have and uh, that term is not a regulated title for I believe the all the countries that I mentioned so you can call yourself for instance in Singapore I think you can call yourself a psychotherapist that doesn't actually mean anything it doesn't mean you have to have undergone certain training or registration or certification Um, it just means that you are treating people in some way um, presumably helping them feel better and that your approach has something to do with psychology Um, now when it comes to the terms psychologist and counsellor those tend to be a little bit more regulated and uh, and I think this goes for all four countries that I mentioned Um, I won't comment on them specifically because I haven't done that much in-depth research but I will talk about what some of the differences are in some of the countries that I have encountered um, I guess more people from the profession right Um, so by and large I think actually a lot of the the client issues that are dealt with um, are quite similar for psychologists and counsellors so if you're dealing with anxiety or relationship issues or um, you know, like depression, mood disorders, um, both psychologists and counsellors would be able to help you. Um, the differences in approach would come down to the specific training that uh, the psychologist would have had. Um, so for counsellors, I think it it's a little bit, my understanding is it's a little bit more broad-based. It's very focused on... Um, the individual different theories different methods to kind of address uh you know the problem that somebody presents with whereas if you're talking about psychology a lot of times the training would involve um something that i think is a bit more 
science-based even if you're not doing educational even if you're not doing like a specialization in clinical psych or educational psych for example right even your basic undergrad psychology degree includes a lot of um, science you would need to understand how the biology of you know neurotransmitters work or like brain development how does that work Um, as much as you would need to understand things like uh, you know how certain behaviors or actions uh, influence how people make judgments right cognitive biases or um, social psychology and how people kind of function together uh, in groups Um, and there's also a lot more statistics I believe when it comes to psychology because it's shifting in the direction (coughs) (coughs) I'm so sorry um, it's shifting in the direction of, I think, trying to be more quantifiable, trying to be more science-based as opposed to counselling, which um, I understand is a bit more like sociology or emotion-based. Sorry, I had to stop that because of a crazy coughing fit. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so... In practice, I think a lot of the the issues that people would go and see a psychologist for, they can actually see a counsellor. But what is maybe useful to know and what probably is um, more relevant for kind of the, I guess, the difference, if you want to call it that, is the, the kind of training that both psychologists and counsellors undergo and the registration pathways. Um, I already touched a little bit on the training. I don't actually know what um, counsellors get taught, even though I've kind of participated in some uh, like projects for friends who are training to be counsellors. Um, but yeah, but my understanding is I think it's it's very like present focus. It's focused on the person in front of you rather than necessarily understanding the etiology or the course of uh, a disorder or um, what that looks like over the lifespan um, and and so okay very quick note on the on the on the registration pathway because I'll get more into that when we talk about like the um, the training but depending on where you're from counselors or psychologists may or may not need to be registered in order to practice so whether that term is a protected term so for instance in australia it's quite strict you do need to be registered with the australian psychological association or australian health practitioner something association um um, basically no aps sorry australian psychological society or APRA, so you need to be registered in order to call yourself a psychologist. Otherwise, you actually, like, legally cannot. Um, And I think you also need to be registered and accepted as a counsellor there in order to practice. And this ties into things like, you know, whether you can get, uh, whether you can qualify to offer your clients medicine rebates, which, of course, will help you then get clients because they pay less. Um... In Singapore, weirdly enough, psychologists don't actually have to be registered. Um, so you can call yourself a psychologist and it's it's just not a regulated term. 
in contrast, counselors do need to register themselves um, in order to practice as a counselor. So that is a little bit more regulated. I believe in America and the UK uh, that their systems are a bit closer to Australia. Um, and so, you know, you would be able, you should be able to kind of check the registration number of your uh, psychologist if if you wanted to, just to make sure that they were actually legit um, and had an active registration. So, um, so that probably doesn't mean much if you're not actually pr- going to practice or, or train as one, but I think, you know, that just kind of points to how there isn't actually that black and white clarity between the different terms. And so what what probably matters more, I think, is the kind of training that um, you need to go to in order to get that registration. And this differs based on the country. Um, it differs in terms of the kind of qualification that you need in order to practice. And that in turn also varies in t- when it comes to the number of years and um, naturally that affects the amount of money that you need to put in as well. So I'll explain that a little bit more. Okay, so qualifications you need in order to register and practice. So in the US and in the UK, um, I believe for both of them, you need a doctoral level qualification in order to register as a practicing psychologist. Um, I think in the US, a PhD qualifies. I don't know whether they have a PsyD, but uh, in the UK, they have both a PhD and both a PsyD. And a PhD is more of a research track. Um, again, sorry, maybe not much use. I don't actually know if a PhD lets you practice as a psychologist, but... Um, like to me it was just a big time commitment anyway to have to do a doctorate uh and i knew that i wasn't going to go down the research track i knew my end goal was to be able to practice um to do a PsyD, it is still a doctorate it's more of a practical one with a lot more um uh shucks what what's the term um i want to say practicum but basically you are attached for uh, specific units or periods of time to different settings, whether you're talking about a prison setting, an educational setting, a hospital, um, a community setting, whatever it is, uh, where you get to actually practice the the skills that you would use as um, as a psychologist beyond whatever coursework or whatever research that you'd be doing. And so <clears throat> in both the US and the UK, you do need that kind of doctoral level qualification if you want to be a practicing psychologist, if you want to see patients um, or clients. In Singapore, uh, like I mentioned, there isn't really, there isn't really uh, like a hard requirement for you to register in order to practice. It's relatively unregulated. There is um, a, a psychological association in Singapore where you would register if you are qualified because why not it legitimizes you but there are i'm sure quite a lot of people who are flying under the radar and practicing as a psychologist with a basic degree and then they go and do kind kind of add-on qualifications um and in australia and i believe new zealand i think it's the same um 
basically they have different pathways i'll stick to australia i won't talk about new zealand because uh, i'm less updated there but you don't actually need a doctorate in order to practice you do however need the equivalent of a master's or um, have spent equivalent time in training um, in actually kind of doing a certain number of hours and so the pathway would be that you do your undergraduate degree um, in basic psychology an undergraduate degree uh, when, when they say that it's basically the three years you have to do an honors on top of that and then so that's your fourth year and then you would do a master's which uh, comes in different forms if you were to do it with a specialization which um, honestly is like only the specialized masters are open to international students then that's a two-year course and that would include research it would include coursework and it will also include placements um, where you would spend time with uh, it, like in particular settings like I mentioned actually practicing the skills with a supervisor and those are the skills that you would be assessed on depending on the the university or the institution that you go to they may or may not provide the placements for you with existing partners rather than you having to go out and source for it yourself and potentially not being able to hit the number of hours. If you are an international student then there are other options open. Um, the structure has recently changed. I think they did away with a 4 plus 2 and now you need to do a 5 plus 1 which basically is... Hmm, is that what I'm doing? No. No, I'm doing the... the Okay, yeah. So if you're not doing a, a two-year specialist degree, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, then you probably want to do the 5 plus 1 pathway. 5 plus 1 means you spend four years doing your undergraduate honours, plus one more year doing um, master's coursework or research, plus one year um, actually kind of practicing or doing a, a full placement as part of your training. And then after you finish that, then you will kind of qualify to go and apply for registration as a psychologist. Um, the difference between that and uh, specialized masters is that, so basically there are different registration pathways. I feel like this gets in the degree and it's, you know, at the end of the day, unless you're dead set on doing something like neuropsychology or something very, very specialized like educational psychology or forensic uh, which is becoming rarer, I think, then the, you're kind of mostly seeing the same kind of patients and the same kind of cases. Um, and then it's more a question of what kind of population or what kind of problem you want to work with. But a lot of people tend to want to go into clinical psychology because I guess it's prestigious. It covers the widest range of cases that you can see. Um, if you're going to go down a specialist route, then, you know, it, it basically is the least limiting option for all the specialist uh, psychology, like all the specializations. And what that is, is basically a two-year master's where you are focusing specifically on clinical conditions and you're doing specifically clinical placements. So probably, you know, um, hospital setting, for example, the kind of patients that you'd be dealing with or the kind of cases that you'd be dealing with would be issues where you know um, you're maybe seeing more severe forms of uh, clinical disorders so beyond um, you know 
mood disorder, anxiety disorder, where there's a pretty high prevalence rate. So anxiety is a lifetime prevalence of about 25%, which means um, roughly 25% of people at some point in their lives will experience clinical levels of anxiety where it actually impairs their function. Um, but um, beyond that, you know, if you're looking at things like schizophrenia, you're looking at, um, I don't know, like heavy substance abuse or uh, <coughs> developmental and intellectual disorders, um, you know, things that require uh, like much more specialized knowledge. So that will be covered by, by clinical. Um, and then your placements will kind of be geared towards that as well. So at the end of the day, what that, what that means is if you were to kind of start from scratch, then you're talking about basically six years of study, and this is without a PhD, right? You're talking about six years of study and or placement in order to reach the point where you can register. And I believe after registering, there's still a period of time where you have to fulfill a certain number of hours in order to be fully registered um, and also for your specialization to be recognized. Um, so it's a massive commitment, right? In, in the end, I went with Australia because I think two main reasons, well, maybe three. Um, one is that as somebody with an existing degree, it was by far the shortest um, option. So rather than do a whole um, four years undergraduate with honours, they basically condense the first three years of undergraduate into what they call a graduate diploma. The terminology gets really complicated uh, because every country and university does it a slightly different way. So for example, graduate diploma in the UK is different from grad dip in Australia. But essentially it's a bridging degree. And so if I am able, assuming I'm able to make it through um, you know, the different stages, uh, and I'll explain a little bit more about that, then it will be four years of study and placements. Um, and that is by far the shortest pathway. <laughs> you know, other places you would have to kind of do a PhD. That's like three to seven years. Um, and that's assuming you can do a PhD without a bachelor's and that you won't, you know, kill your soul with research. Um, in the UK, there are quite a few degrees that are termed bridging degrees or that are, you know, one to two years master of, I don't know, like neuropsychology and like psychological science or whatever it is. Just be aware that a lot of things with these titles don't actually qualify you to practice. Um, and they don't even count on the pathway to qualification. So if you're doing like a, a bridging degree in uh, a master's of, I can't remember what I was looking at, I think it was like neuro, like psychological science, um, where it was meant for people with an undergrad degree that was not in psychology. So it sounded great, right? Like, oh, I don't have to go through the whole four years again, I can go straight to a master's, and then maybe if I have to do a PhD, like, hey, I get a PhD and, and I can do it in like two to three years, like same amount of time. But at each pathway, you need to make sure that the modules and the qualification that you're taking actually is accepted by the British Psychological Society as part of your 
training. So there will be there will be bridging degrees out there that actually sound great, but they don't they don't give you points, so they don't contribute to um, to the things that you have to study in order to um, be registered as a psychologist. And so <laughs> it's such a trap, I tell you. Um, yeah. So anyway, after exploring that, I I basically just went. No, like I have to do too much work to go and vet the individual modules by myself and check that against the, the British Psych Society and then on top of that I have to do like a, a PsyD uh, you know you know, I'd rather just go to Australia it's much nearer at home um, it's like it's not more expensive um, it is it was for me also uh, Australia was shorter than Singapore because Singapore doesn't have um, that kind of like condensed undergraduate degree so you would have to do the full six years it's equally difficult to get into and if you've already used your local university grant for Singaporeans listening if you've already used your local university grant for your first undergraduate degree you can't use it again so you only get that subsidized rate of I don't know what it is now like six to eight thousand a year once in your life and if you've used it up, then you, you know, if you want to go back to uni and, and start from scratch or whatever it is, you would have to pay, I think, thirty to 60000 a year um, as a Singaporean. So definitely not what I wanted to do. Um, so in the end, I went, I went to uh, Australia. Ta-da! I guess the last thing I'll talk about here is... Um, the risk involved because it is it is a huge risk right a lot of times when people make a career change you're not actually required to go back to university because you don't have to go and jump through the hoops and actually get registered i guess technically i didn't really need to do that for singapore um but i think it's only a matter of time before that changes and i also think i want proper training um i want to be able to uh you know have the have the right kind of grounding rather than just get a qualification or just practice for the sake of it like i want to actually be good at what i'm doing um which reminds me just now i said i would i had three reasons why i went to australia the first reason was really the pathway was the shortest um the second one i think is uh there's a lot about the aussie culture that i felt would be important for me to pick up as well um, I didn't want to, because for me, it's not just, you know, when you, when you go to school or when you learn anything, right, whether in school or work or whatever, it's not free of context. Um, and so I think there will be things from a particular culture or a particular context that you pick up that will shape the way you understand a particular field or shape the way you practice. And I was quite clear that out of all the different places I was looking at, um, there were parts of Australian culture that I felt were important to build into my values as I train and as I practice. And I suppose the third reason was really just that I wanted to be in a different country because I was meant to spend these few years outside of Singapore. Um, you know, to get a certain kind of exposure, to get a sense of what life is like in different places and what life could be. And I think that's always also a good exercise to help refine and understand what 
you know one's values are and testing it in a different context so yeah so at the end of the day i think it made sense for me to go to australia um time wise cost wise it's pretty expensive um but i think my priorities had kind of shifted to the point where it was important for me to do this and to put um a lot of my life savings into this in order to not regret it in the future right i was basically designing the second half of my life um and designing that required not just this qualification but this experience of being elsewhere and figuring out what those you know what values i could take from you know a different way of living um yeah so so i mean the cost is only going to go up um it's crazy expensive education is really expensive there were definitely times when i was very bitter about just the fact that wanting something that was wanting a qualification wanting training that i thought was legitimate and rigorous required me to jump through these hoops of getting into undergrad and then getting into honors and then getting into um you know a uh, uh, like a masters or a specialist training i haven't gotten to the last stage yet <clears throat> um but you know what what does that mean for other people who are in the same position but who didn't have the savings or the financial resources to do that right and i i feel like on some level it's just so warped that <laughs> that education and options are open to those who have the means um yeah i mean I, i won't go too much into that but i definitely felt very clearly the the privilege and the fortune that i had to be able to do this to be able to even consider a career change in covid um and to consider something that required this much time and monetary investment um and then you know i also definitely thought about what does this mean for the people who are practicing you know there will be people who are struggling to make ends meet because this is their mission and calling in life and i know psychologists who are in that boat um where they have basically put everything they have behind this or you know they just had to go wherever like they didn't even have the luxury of choosing where to go right um it was just whatever they they could afford <clears throat> so yeah so anyway i guess the last thing to kind of mention is you know i talked about the risks there are different aspects to the risk there is that time risk which is not just putting in your time uh to move into another field and to kind of pick up something from scratch but also the time that you spend outside of the labor market the time that you spend not working and that constant worry that you know everything that i've built in my career up to then would depreciate or that if you spend time outside the workforce then you know people would think that you are not employable right and at the same time like i'm pushing 40 i'm still a bit away but um just aware of even if i don't feel a certain way even if i don't feel like i'm 
too old or too experienced or whatever there will be companies and there will be people kind of see you that way and i think that also made me appreciate what it's like for um for people who have to take time out from work because let's say they become parents and they want to spend time with their kids or um you know they have to look after somebody at home and so they step out of step out of work for a few years or you know other exigencies um and those are not positions that we choose to be like the forces of society are not something that we can necessarily choose for ourselves like we don't choose to be in um in a situation where like our age is a factor for the jobs that we can get or where people think that we are defunct because we are maybe a bit rusty um or just have a different frame of reference right so yeah i think that definitely helped me develop um empathy for for others as well where previously i would have judged them um and time is a risk money is a risk because that money could be going somewhere else um and also you're sacrificing your earning power um by starting a new and you know there is foregone income as well but another huge risk i will say especially for this field um probably if you were to go and do an mba it kind of wouldn't come with this level of risk but another huge risk is that because the end goal actually is registration and qualification and that has very specific requirements um it's also important to consider the the chance of success right and i mentioned three stages just now one is the undergraduate degree um or the graduate diploma if you're doing a bridging degree uh the second one is honors and the third stage is your masters and basically if you get to masters that's that's it right like a lot of people will say masters was the least stressful um in in a lot of ways because unless you're really shitty you pretty much will pass like you don't need to get high distinction or anything to become uh registered um but the rate of success uh from going from one stage to the next is about 10 percent so you know and these figures basically come from emailing multiple uh university departments when i was making my application and making my decision um where let's say you get in a typical undergraduate cohort you can get 1000 to 3000 students in your level 1000 class um you know if you're talking about graduate diplomas i think um i think you i think we had like 80 to 120 per university approximately Right. So let's say at third year, you have about 80 to 120 people who have decided to major in psychology and stuck with it. Now, the number of... Um, hang on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that kind of gets gets mixed into the pool of... Uh, sorry, I misspoke. So that's like 80 to 120 graduate diplomas. And that kind of gets mixed into the wider pool of your third years. So, um, if you look at, let's say, the, the thousand odd people, you count your part-time and your full-time students, uh, in order to get into an honours place, there are about 80 to 120 honours places. 
Um, and so that's a success rate of about 10%, assuming everybody wants to go ahead into the honors year. Um, when you get into the master's year, it's 10% of that honors cohort, right? So the number of places for uh, masters, wh- whatever kind of masters, right? Like um, clinical psychology, forensic psychology, uh, organizational psychology, and I think Oxide might be a bit more flexible, and educational psychology. Typically, the number of places that you have is 12. If you're lucky, a university might have 20 places. But you're talking about 12 places per year that are available for this thousand odd undergraduates to get into. Um, that essentially means that the top 1% of people will go in. And that's crazy. Um, and it's easy to say why, are, you know, why aren't there more places? Like, why, why is the system restricting the number of places when there is such a high demand for psychological services? But a lot of it comes down to the placements that are available and the supervision that is available. And that comes down to the funding of the faculty. And that comes down to how much a university can raise, whether from the government or from donors or from school fees. So I don't, I mean, I don't know what the breakdown is like, but I do know it's pretty consistent um, across the different specializations I've looked at and across the different universities. Uh, If you're an international student, I believe, first of all, you can only go for the specialized degree rather than a general professional psych uh, registration pathway and on top of that quite a lot of universities are not um, are not open to international students at all right and you know if you only have so few places a year across the country for um, for clinical psychologists and there's high demand for clinical psychologists I get it like, I get why you would save that for people who would who are Australian and who would practice and live there um, all of which I guess is to say that it is a huge risk. It's a huge risk that, you know, I won't be able to make it through. It's a huge risk that, you know, this two years may be for nothing, um, in a sense. Uh, I will do, I think, a separate post on how it hasn't been nothing. Um, it, it's definitely been a no regrets move, but one with high cost. Uh, but also the the ledger has kind of changed. <laughs> I'm not really kind of operating on the same accounting. Okay, this an- analogy is a bit extended, but I'm not really operating on the same kind of um, cost benefit analysis paradigm that I previously was. Um, but yeah, it it is a huge risk. Uh, it's a low chance of success. Um, some things are pretty frustrating. Uh, it's not going to be a walk in the park. But I think you kind of have to take it as an overall experience um, and just be clear why you're doing this and that you have enough of yourself, your time, your energy, your finances set aside to actually take this leap. Um, and realize, I guess, that the journey itself does kind of change at least for me it, ch- it changed me quite a bit um it changed my perspective on life um perspective on humans um 
on what psychopathology is and what psychology is. There was a lot of demystification. And I think that was very helpful, especially in a world where I feel like you either have to be very strong in tech or very strong in people or both. And um, I think people are pretty fascinating. Uh, destroying the earth as a species, but <laughs> but you know, in a lot of ways, pretty fascinating creatures. So um, yeah, I will stop here. I hope it has been helpful to some people. And um, all the best if this is a journey that you are going to embark on. It's a worthwhile one, it's a fulfilling one, but it does come with um, it does come with costs and stakes. So good luck and enjoy the ride. <laughs>